Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is Richard Morell, who is the site director at Anglo-American on the Woodsmith Mine here in the UK. Having studied at the Campbell School of Mines and worked both here in the UK and in Australia, um, Richard has a passion and desire to help the younger generation and graduates in the mining industry. Um, and he's coming on the podcast today um, to give some advice to graduates um, in their early years um, but also advice to managers and senior managers and obviously mining professionals um, in hiring young engineers for their business and operations. So um, it's going to be a, um, an interesting chat. And I think hopefully a lot of um, the audience that are listening, um, you're going to pick a few things up um, from some of our uh, conversations. So that's introduced Richard to the podcast. How are you doing, Richard? Good morning, Rob. Great. Thank you. Uh, beautiful day up here in uh, North Yorkshire. So yeah, going well. Which is good to hear. And hopefully, it lasts for hopefully it lasts for a while. Let's hope so. <laughs> um, so, I just wondered if you can give us a brief introduction um, about yourself, about your career. Um, if we can keep it brief, and the reason is we're probably going to come on to some of your um, career as we speak, and, our, and some of the questions that I've got to ask. So, I just wanted to give us a quick snapshot of uh, of your career from when you graduated to sort of present day. Sure thing, Rob. Um, so yeah, graduated in 1994 from the Camborne School of Mines um, here in Cornwall. A um, couple of years in the UK then with Tarmac. Um, and then I, I did, I, I flew off to Australia and I was there for 25 years before coming home uh, in May last year, right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, over that time, spent a considerable time in civil tunnels, uh, open cut mining, underground mining, multi-commodity, working for the contractor, working for the client, um, really a mismatch of all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Right. So uh, obviously working for Anglo at the moment. Um, but obviously what I want to do is focus on graduates. Um, how did or how do you, um, obviously when, you're t- when you were working, uh, obviously when you were at Campbell School of Mines, um, what what would you suggest to any undergraduates today to pursue their um, industrial type placements? Um, and what advice would you give students uh, that are graduating this year? Sure. I think um, the most important thing is not to give up. Um, I know it's difficult. Um, and, you know, we've heard stories in the past where graduates of, you know, or undergrads, you know, have written literally hundreds of letters to mining companies with little success. Um, I think the most important thing is just to, to keep on with that. You know, pummel those letters out, be really keen, try and make phone calls um, and, and use the network. Um, the CSM or the ACSM um, has got a really good network of people around the world, in actual fact, um, that can place students for that two or three month period over you know, between second and third year or even first and second year. Um, there is opportunity. It's just being you know willing to get out there, put the time in. And just go and grab it where you possibly can. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and obviously, I get as being a recruiter, I get a lot of uh, candidates, graduates, 
approach me. Um, and again, exactly, I, I say to them exactly what you just said. But what I also do is try and educate a little bit about the whole job search um, scenario. Yes, keep sending those letters off, keep sending those emails off, keep approaching, but also it's important to follow up on that because a lot of emails, letters, etc., will get lost in communication and it's following up and it's following up to the end. So you, sometimes you may be sending off emails to the wrong people. Um, it's, it's, it's trying to be specific, Rob. Um, you're dead right. If you just put a generic letter and it gets to the secretary at the front desk, it's not going to you know, get to the right person. So as you say, it's that research. Internet is a wonderful thing. LinkedIn, try and get it through to the HR or the mining manager or someone that's going to say, hey, I've got a project for this person. Um, yeah, absolutely. If you just go generic letter and off it goes, um, and that's not really what I'm saying. As you say, it, it, it's be specific. Get it to the right person. Do your homework. You know, Pound people on LinkedIn. It's a good thing because if there is a job, they're going to take you on. Yeah, certainly. And also just uh, on that, uh, networking as well. I think that's important. Obviously, it's been difficult um, over the last 18 months. Um, but obviously, hopefully things are slowly changing and there is going to be more uh, events coming up and uh, there is events out there. Um, for instance, I'm going to the Oxford Mining uh, Club dinner tonight, for instance, uh, which is my first event since since uh, pre pre COVID. Um, and yeah, networking, introducing you, yourselves to new people, um, and as a graduate, just building up your network, introducing yourself to people that are three, four levels ahead of you. Um, if you're a geologist, trying to speak to geology superintendents or geology managers, if you're mine engineer, tech services managers, try and try and locate them where they are and introduce yourself and have something in common and 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 start chatting to them and keep in contact. Absolutely. We've got a we've got a geology intern with us at the moment, um, graduated from from Liverpool. Um, he's spent the summer with us. Uh, you know, he's got another four or six weeks yet with us doing doing you know geology work. Um, but there is opportunity. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, you know, Anglo-American, big multinational company, uh, there is opportunity, no doubt. Yeah. Um, with regards to graduate schemes um, in mining companies, um, what would you look out for? Um, and how would you su uh, suggest a graduate stands out from the crowd next to their peers? Um, I'll, I'll let you answer this first of all, but I... Um, I had that situation probably about eight, well, probably about two years ago now, where I had a graduate role, and I don't generally recruit graduate roles because um, companies normally go to the universities. But I'll, I'll ask you the question first of all, and then I'll give you my experience and my um, interpretation. Sure. Um, so, if I if I look at my career, I, I was the general manager for Barminco for a couple of years, uh, 2010, 2011, um, and I just saw a an opportunity um, to get graduates into a business. And it, it was a really good scheme. So West Australia, you have to do a year underground, split into you know, three months of this, six months of that. But overall, you get a year of underground experience. Um, and I sort of chatted to, to my peers at work. I said, look, there's an untapped resource in the UK through CSM. Why don't we you know, try and tap it? <clears throat> and that's exactly what we did. And we put a pretty strong 
um, graduate scheme together, which actually, you know, you can you can be in it for three years, you can be in it for five years, and you can do two or three years of underground experience. Um, and we've got grads there now that, you know, have been jumbo operators for a couple of years. Um, the longer you spend, I believe anyway, on the tools or in and around that underground world, um, the more, you know, you, you get to have a really good look around you and what's important. So a jumbo, people go, I oh, just drills holes. Well, it's the lifeblood of a contracting company. It's the lifeblood of, blood of an underground mine, but it still needs water. It still needs air. It still needs power. It still needs to be maintained. It still needs operated. So from a, a young graduate point of view, if you can start, if I say at the bottom, maybe a nipper or maybe on a truck underground, it is invaluable experience. Um, it, and it depends which way you want to go. Do you want to go down a physical route or do you want to go down a, a technical route? Um, and I still find my advice to a young youngster today, God, it makes me sound so old, um, is to, hey, look, start at the bottom, get that practical experience. It is such a small percentage of your working career. So if you think about it, uh, I've got 40 years ahead of me, I'm going underground for one year. That's two and a half percent of your overall working time. So put the hard yards in, you know, really just go in and get it. Because when you're trying to put a long hole rig in a stope, as an example, or in a drive to drill out your stope, and you go, I can't, you know, turn the boom left or right because I haven't designed the drive big enough. The understanding is there, as opposed to going, I didn't know that because, oh, that's right, you never spent any time underground. Um, so from a from a my personal advice, and I think most of my peer group um, have followed it, is to chase it, get that time, um, because you'll never look back from it. It's the the best experience I've ever had. Um, you know, really enjoyed it. Friends I've got today are often the friends I spent you know with that time underground. Yeah, and following on from that, um, if you are studying um and you can't get that opportunity to go and work in a mine um during your studies an alternative could be go and work be a laborer on a on a building site um try and learn some um maybe even try and pick up some tickets to operate machinery because again it's a it's a stepping stone in the right direction but even just doing being a laborer on a building site and I've done that before um although I'm not a miner um, you soon realise um, what some of the guys are going on uh, are actually doing out in the field on the ground. Whether you're building a mine, whether you're building a building, a house, etc. Just learning a few practical tips. Um, yeah. I think Absolutely. it's all, all going to be beneficial um, in your overall career. Yes, yeah, so, I mean also land surveying. You know, go and be a, a peggy for someone, and you know, put pegs in on, on, a, on a new build, or go and work on a road crew if you can. Um, when it comes to your CV, it shows, hey, this guy's got a bit of, you know, something about it. Go. Correct. He's going to go out and get it. Uh, nothing wrong. And again, nothing wrong with working at local McDonald's, but working on a building site is a bit more, you know, practical to what you're going to do, you know, in your working career. So not knocking anybody <laughs> for what they do, um, but hey, look, try and make it relevant. And I think that's the, that's what you're just trying to say there. Yes, certainly. And just moving on, when I when I mentioned I had uh, I had a graduate role uh, I was recruiting for probably about two years ago now, 
Um, and I was briefing the four graduates that I put forward for the role. Um, and what I said to them is, look, all of you are degree qualified. You're all equivalent. Now, how whoever's going to get this job out the four of you, there needs to be a differentiation between between you, between you. So the one person is going to be different from the other three, and that's the person that's going to get the role. So based on what we just said, if someone has shown a lot of, and again, it's not necessary, it, it will happen. Uh, that could be the reason. But if you've been out on site, you've done got some site experience, whether it is a mine, whether it is a construction site or, or whatever, you've worked for probably those four years whilst you're studying, even if it was part-time, um, it just show, it shows you something about you. You're going to have more skills than those other three that hadn't done that. Um, and you can demonstrate some of those experiences that you've learned from being maybe a labourer out on site that those other three wouldn't. So it's that having that differentiation um, because you were all, you all got a level, level um, playing field because you're all graduated. The other thing is your personality and how you get on with the interviewee uh, or the manager. Um, again, that's going to be the differential between you and the other three people that you were interviewing. And that's the sort of advice I was giving them. Um, yeah. But yeah, like as we've just been saying, having some practical experience um, during your studies is going to make you a bit different than probably some of the other people that are going for a particular job. Yeah, when it comes to um, you know, the interview process and, and someone you know coming in, I, I really like to you know, put the person, you know, make them relax. This is, you know, we're not talking about working for, for Boris Johnson or, or you know, in front of the camera. Um, we're talking about digging holes, making big rocks into little rocks. Um, and I, I know that oversimplifies it, but I like a person to be natural. Um, you know, if they come in and just a very, a very square, and I mean square, you know, not overly, you know, communicating or very, very careful in what they say, um, I sort of go, well, not that they're hiding something, but what's going on? Um, I really encourage us, right, relax, take your tie off. That's the first thing I say, undo your button, take a deep breath. I want to, I want you in the room. I don't want a version of you. Um, yeah, that's 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 part of my life. I, I try and bring my whole self to work. I want this person, this young graduate, to come in and tell me what they've got to offer. Yeah, certainly. And again, it's like these podcasts that I do. I want the guests to be as relaxed as possible. Um, this podcast isn't like probably some of the other podcasts or even some of the other YouTube channels out there where they're, they're more focused towards the investor um where it's not necessarily scripted but it's more on a professional approach i want this to be more down to earth and and let the guests be be themselves and not not necessarily be judged on the way they're, they're coming across it's them in natural form yeah absolutely and it, and it, again come to that that same conversation right a young graduate yeah do some research if you're going to take a, an advert sorry an interview say glencore um yeah, read up about Glencore or Barminko, which is now owned by Parenti. But, you know, you can go and get the right level of detail. Um, I don't actually want you to just tell me their revenue, their EBITDA, how many people they've got working for them. No, tell me a bit about, I notice you've got a you know a mine in Botswana. I'd love to go and work there. Um, I know you've just started it. And ask me a question. How's it going? You know, that's the sort of conversation 
I, you know, I'd choose that person over someone that just can reel off me a whole range of figures um, because I should know that because I work for the company already. Makes yeah. sense? Yeah, a good question could be what challenges are you having on that particular site? If you're a mine engineer, what challenges are you having with your uh, short-term mine planning? You would give the answer and that graduate can then say, actually, I've done something like that in my thesis and this is what I would suggest. Um, there you go. Yeah, I can't agree more. It's, it really is. So relax. And I think that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, I've, I've had a few, few events of a bit of anxiety in my past. And now it's a case of, well, you know what? It doesn't matter. Just just come in, bring your whole self to work, be, you know, be relaxed, be cool, be calm, but be knowledgeable. I think that's that's a, a that's a really simple, you know, five bullet point step for me of approaching an interview, you know, a high, high, you know, high stress meeting, um, approaching your cruise underground, whatever it is, just bring your whole self know what you're talking about, know your audience, same, same. Yeah. Um, some other things that I am, um, I uh, when I speak to graduates and they ask me or I suggest it to them, is going, obviously, going out to, and this is probably once they've graduated, um, going overseas. So, obviously, if we're talking in the UK, going overseas, maybe that's Africa, maybe that's Asia, maybe that's Canada. Um, you obviously headed out to Australia um earlier in obviously your career what made you actually move over to australia um and i wonder if you can tell us your experiences um by obviously making that first step and once you're over in australia obviously getting your first job i just wonder if you can give us your experience around that sure so reasons for going um i was living in matlock in in derbyshire at the time um and i was actually working at the two um, British steel blast furniture, furnaces, one at Teesside and one in Scunthorpe. So if you can imagine the commute, it was back in 1995, so there wasn't quite so much traffic, um, but it was a long commute each and every day. You know, there was nowhere really to live you know, between the two. I just happened to be staying in Matlock. Um, and I thought one day, almost enough's enough. Um, the likes of Roy Coates and Mike Moore and others were, were all sort of talking about Australia. I had a, a number of friends who'd gone to to Hong Kong to work on on the airport, Chet Blackcock, and the, the, the tunnels there. Um, so I went, you know what, I'm going to do this. Um, had a long chat with mum and dad, and they were so supportive. It was fantastic. Um, I think that's another key, key element in this. It's not just pack up and go, chat to your family, chat to your friends, and go, look, this is what the career path I've studied for. I want to go overseas. Once you get their backing, it's easy. Um, so anyway, yeah, I decided to have all the injections in the world, yellow fever, hep A, hep B, you name it, I had it, well, the, the jabs anyway. Um, and yeah, I was going to go through Hong Kong, through, through Australia and probably end up in Africa. Um, I stayed with some, some friends in Hong Kong for a week. Um, and then, yeah, just before Christmas 1996, um, landed in Australia, in Perth. and. It comes back to my work experience in Dubai. Um, I met a, a plant trainer there called Pete Edwards, typical Aussie, you know, Blundstone boots, um, a Cobra hat. You know, it didn't quite have the corks, but not far off. Uh, and we stayed in touch. Um, and he sort of said, hey, look, come and stay with me and my family. We're, we're in Perth. Um, you know, 
arm around me will look after you. So ultimately, I had all the pieces in the puzzle laid out, all the planning done, all the, the health pieces done, ready to go, few grand in the bank. Um, and I was on a plane to Australia. Um, I landed, stayed with, with Pete and Prue, and um, lo and behold, you know, it was a woeful time. I think gold was was less than $400 an ounce at the time. Um, mining industry, you know, what's that to some degree? Um, but, you know, I, I did exactly what I've just recommended to uh, to an undergraduate today is, is write those letters, start networking. It was almost, you know, before the days of, of real email and all, all that good stuff. Uh, it was just on the cusp of, you know, the WWW really, uh, you know, exploding. And, yeah, lo and behold, Sons of Gualia at the time owned a mine called Marvel Lock, about 400Ks inland. I believe about, you know, 1,000 applicants, cooks, you know, bottle washers, glasses, you name it. They all went for this job. And um, as, a, as a mining engineer, I said, well, there you go, got the job. Um, and, you know, in one of those words, the rest is history. Um, I was at Marvel Lock for five years. Um, and, you know, as I said, I've, I've got some, it, it was a defining period in my, my uh, career. A lot of long-term friends, you know, if I said went through Marvel Lock, Yorgan Star, and that Southern Cross region. Um, advice to someone um, wanting to go overseas today is, you know, take it by the horns and, you know, it's going to be a ride, but it's going to be a good one. Um, COVID, however, has really put, you know, a delay, I think, in that. Um, I've got friends, funny enough, who came to Yorkshire recently, Stu and Kim Tracy. Um, I met them in Marvel Lock. Again, another CSM student, um, but a life, lifelong friend. Um, they've literally just landed back in Perth, um, but it's been a struggle. The, uh, the flights haven't been easy, um, but, but they're there. They've made it. Um, Going back, we used to have what was called the Red Book. So someone had put it together, um, full of really good information, contacts. It was it was like your LinkedIn of today, but in paper copy from 1996 and 1997. Um, it was being prepared. It was you know, writing those letters a month or so before you went, arranging meetings, you know, telling them what you've done, and and lo and behold, you know, off off you go. Um, so, so that that's it, really. For for me, I really recommend. Um, you know, why did I go? I was a bit tired of the UK. I was in a job that I didn't know where it was going, um, and I went. You know what? There's only one person that's going to change it, and that's me. Um, so, lots of conversations. As I said, Mum, Dad, yeah, off you go, son. See you later. And uh, 25 years, I I sort of turn up on their doorstep and say, help. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. No, I'd, I'd done I'd done a similar thing, not in a, in a uh, mining uh, sense, but I I packed my bags and went travelling and end up in Australia. Um, I ended up there for a couple of years, came back and then went back out there for ten years. So um, it's just taking those steps forward. Um, what would you suggest if someone wanted to go to Australia and they're keen, and then they get to say Perth? It was there. Did you have any sort of plans when you actually got there? Were they already pre-planned? Did you just think, right, I'm here now. What do I do? Um, is, is there any? Was there any structure around that? Um, for for me, I, I think I was really fortunate in that I had 
you know, somewhere to lay my head. I had a, friends around me. I had, it wasn't family, but Pete and Prue, uh, and they had two young kids. You know, it was just a, I was in a unit straight away. Um, today, however, um, there's probably 200, 250, you know, Camborne School of Mines people in and around Perth. Um, there's a big RSM group. There's people from Nottingham. There's people from other unis, obviously. Um, and we have regular, I say we, I'm now in the UK. Um, but when I was there, you know, regular sundowners. So on a Friday afternoon, you know, a whole group of people from CEOs down to, to graduates would get together, um, you know, discuss what's going on over a quiet, informal beer. Um, but the number of people I know that have found opportunities from those networking events is, you know, I, I don't have enough fingers and and toes to count it. Um, so yeah, it, planning, however, before you get there is key. You know, there's the through LinkedIn, you could go Perth mining, you know, whatever it is, and you can find all sorts of people and they're all willing to help. I think that's the most important thing. Um, get an early, early jump on the Oz IMM. Um, again, that's a great networking tool. They have regular events, you know, every, I think it's either every fortnight or every month. Um, get yourself along to them, you know, as a visitor, um, because you'll meet all of the right people. Uh, and if you're, um, you, you've got the vision, um, you've got the energy, you've got the effort, um, you're going to get somewhere. Um, Perth at the moment is, you know, is rocking. The, the mining industry is, is really, you know, buoyant once again, even through the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, I suppose we need to stress, obviously, this is uh, in September 2021. So if anyone's listening to this uh, in the future, obviously, at the moment, it is difficult to get into Australia. Um, They're only letting a certain amount of people in. So you may find it difficult at the moment, but things will change. So even if you are planning, still continue to plan, just everything may be delayed. Yeah, agree with that, Rob. I mean, that's a, a really good point. Um, you know, I'm being very buoyant. Um, yeah, with, with how people can go about um, finding finding work, but at the end of the day, as you say, we've come through 18 months of um, you know a really topsy turvy env- environment. I, I travelled to the UK through Qatar. You know, there was 50 people on the plane, um, having to wear a mask, having to wear a face shield. You know, not being able to, to drink anything, it's like this is this is bizarre. This is not normal. Um, so I, I think, yeah, the most important thing from this discussion, as you say, if someone in five years' time is listening listening to this, um, we've gone through a period of non-normality. Um, but the demonstration is still there, right? We're we're taking people on um at Woodsmith. Um, when I left with South 32, we took on, I think, five graduates last year. Um, so it it is very much still happening because mining companies know that their future is actually in today's graduates. Yeah. And we're going to move on now with obviously there seems to be a shortage of um, school leavers entering university and obviously in relation to um, mining related subjects. Um, there's obviously certain subjects there's probably more people like for instance geology there's probably a lot of uh, students entering uh, and studying geology but for instance mine engineering um, 
pretty scarce and obviously more recently some universities have suspended courses for a year um what can you what can the industry do to sort of um i suppose change things um and and i suppose encourage school leavers to enter into say engineering subjects that are related to the mining industry yeah rob a uh, good question uh i think from the mining point of view um we have to change the way in which we sell mining um so if you think about coal um the the understanding of coal is it's dirty we burn it for for power there are better ways to do it well if you think about there's two kinds of coal thermal coal metallurgical coal and when the news gets hold of it they don't differentiate um so cumbrian mining as an example is metallurgical coal um you know it's not used for for heating and burning it's it's actually used to make steel um so when a when a young school kid jumps in his 1980s cortina as his first car it's full of steel you know it's metallurgical coal has created it um so i think from a from an industry point of view we need to sell mining differently um so if we look at say woodsmith as as an example you know we're in the middle of the north yorkshire moors national park um we're building everything in effect underground yeah our transport system for the for the material we're mining which is polyhalide up to Teesside in a 37 kilometer long tunnel so you can't see it from the surface so we can be environmentally friendly we can you know support local communities like we, we've got 2,000 odd people now working across the project not including the whole supply chain um, so you can be environmentally friendly sustainable you know create create wealth uh, in a location that you wouldn't normally marry it to mining um if you think of battery metals nowadays even nickel nickel's had a massive resurgence in recent times um lithium um and there's an untapped resource of lithium just sitting down in the in the southwest of the country um so we need to reinvent the way mining is understood um, i think we've forgotten the old adage that you either grow it or you mine it you know that's about the only two things obviously there's fishing in the middle but you grow it or you mine it. And the, the kids of today, I don't think fully appreciate, you know, what goes into their their mobile phone. It's fully, fully mined. Every single component of that has been mined probably in three or four, I don't know, 30, 40 locations maybe. So it's reinventing the story so people actually understand um, what mining is all about. And it is required. Every single thing in my house has been mined, mm. except for the doors, which have been grown. So, yeah, yeah. Reinvent it, reinventing what mining is, I think, is the key. Yeah. I suppose the next question is, how do you translate that to the general public? Now, maybe some, some, some suggestions could be um, having a, I suppose, when you're at school, somehow incorporating it into their curriculum but that's probably going to be difficult how else can mining companies individuals get that message across to the general public that won't know anything about like for instance what we're talking about now because that's the difficulty i feel um and and i suppose sometimes it's like anything 
people are only going to be interested, I think, if it's going to interest them personally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it is a really tough one. Um, I know, you know the Australian, you know, the Gold Council and other groups over in Australia were coming together. Um, it, as I said, South 32 was one of them um, to try and you know, reinvent what, what mining is. Um, is it a massive campaign of, of media? I'm not sure that it would have the reach and the interest. Um, so I, I don't know what the answer is, um, which is which is unusual for me. Um, I'm often quite quite vocal with with with, with opinions, um, but I, I think it is it's reinventing what it is. The UK, I found out today, just doing a bit of research, has got two thousand mines and quarries um, around it. So it's like that's a number. I thought, oh, a couple of hundred, possibly. 2,000 mines and quarries around around the UK. Um, we must be doing something right to have all of those operations still operating. Um, but I think the, and I look at you know, being up here in North Yorkshire, the interest from parish councils, the interest from, from local tourism groups, the interest from the National Park. I think the old NIMBY piece is, is critical. You know, not in my backyard because you're going to create lots of lots of noise, lots of dust, blot on the landscape. Well, in actual fact, no, that's not what we're going to do because the, our environmental approvals are so tight, you can't hear us. I can actually be 100 metres away from one of our, our shafts and you can't hear it. You know, we have lighting surveys every, every couple of months to say I'm not putting a lot of you know, up lights in place so that local farms and, and the local sheep and cows are, you know, not affected. So um, I, I think it is a, it's a, a localised community liaison and communication and education. Um, and I think from your first point here, it's getting that message through to the kids of tomorrow to go, we've actually got to put our arm around mining because it is critical. Because without it, hey, I don't have a, iPhone or a Samsung, or I don't have a, a Tesla car. Um, yeah, without lithium, Teslas don't exist. Yeah, and I think that message can be uh, got across and a, a lot more effective moving forward, especially with the government's plans in what they want to do. They want everything to be more greener. They want everything to be electrified. Now, let's take a few steps back and inform the public where where the, the minerals, commodities, where are the raw materials, where, where, they, where do they come from to, yeah. to build what you want? Tell, the, tell the, uh, the, the, everyone around the country and any country, tell them it has to be mined. Absolutely. You look at, um, I think it's called Dogger Bank just up here. You've got the big uh, wind farms um, just off Redcar and off, off Newcastle. So there's A, B, and I think C has just been approved. Well, what what makes a wind turbine? You know, it, it's it's probably a thousand tons or more of concrete in natural foundations. Probably a thousand tons of steel. It's it's copper on the windings on the actual motor. It's all been mined. Um, and then you've got the ten thousand ton ship that's sitting there with a great big crane on it installing it. Well, that whole ship has been mined. So so this is where if you like, the whole circle of life piece needs to be understood. Because if you want to go green, 
the only way to go green is to mine a product. And th that is the piece that I don't think is, is well communicated. Um, and for, for mum and dad, you know, sitting in Leeds or Sheffield or, or London for that matter, it's, it's the last thing on their mind. Um, so they're not educating their kids because they go, why do I need to? Because I go to the Apple store and I buy that. Anyway, that's, yeah. that, that's my opinion. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, obviously, you've been away and you've come back here. You've actually come back to the UK. And interesting fact, obviously, doing some research saying there's 2,000 mines and quarries. Um, what's your take on the UK mining industry as it is and since you've been back? And what would you say the future is of, of the UK mining industry? Because um, if you speak to the average person in the street, they wouldn't have a clue about mining. I mean, I, when they ask me what I do and ask me about my podcast, um, mm. mining, they'd look at me puzzled and mining, mm. didn't know they do mining in the UK. And you've just said there's 2,000 mines and quarries. Um, so how, from, from your perspective, what would you say, how would you sum up the, the UK mining industry? I think um, buoyant, expanding, um, interesting, green. Um, I think there's, you know, I, I just wrote down a, a number of, of, of the mines that are call it, in the news at the moment. Obviously, Cumbrian mining for, for both good and bad reasons. Um, you've got ICL Balby. You know, it's a polyhalite mine just north of us. Um, here, here, just north of Whitby, should I say. Um, but it's it's producing, you know, a sustainable green product it's fertilizer um, and as we know as the population approaches i think eight billion people we're putting more and more pressure on our agricultural you know requirements we need to really eke out every single last uh, ton of corn from a hectare of ground so fertilizers you know polyhalite uh, even potash uh, is critical bhp have just identified it you know, they've just said, well, there's five billion pounds, you know, go and develop the Janssen project finally over in North America. Um, we, you know, we've got Cornish Metals, which is South Crofty, which is tin. You know, it's, a, it's effectively a battery metal. I think it's $30,000 a tonne at the moment. Um, so if you can't make money at $30,000 a tonne, there's something wrong. Cornish Lithium, again, battery metal, um, you know, it, it's coming out of effectively salt water. So, you know, you've got lots of ways to create um, a, a future mineral that there's going to be a mass shortage of from, from brine, which is amazing. Um, Scott's Gold, obviously up in Scotland there, first commercial gold mine. Um, you know, fantastic. It's, it's where my bread and butter, um, you know, I spent 10 years in gold mines, to be honest. Um, Anglo-American, I mean, wow. I mean, yes, we were York Potash. Serious minerals got taken over, um, but it just shows the commitment of the of the big mining companies to the UK. BHP, yeah, one of their head offices is in is in London. Um, obviously, Anglo American head office in London. Glencore, big group of people. All the mining consultants are here in the UK. SRK, you've got Golders. Um, well, what more is there to say? People are putting their money where their mouth is and going right. The UK is almost a bit of an epicenter. Um, similar to say um, Toronto, you know, in Canada, um, you know, and those Canadian cities where you've just got these hubs of small mining companies ready to, you know, take over the world. Um, so I think the UK is, is it, it's a 
you don't need to go to Australia today, to be honest. You just need to get, you know, get your walking boots on, get those emails out. And there's a whole host of junior mining companies, mid-tier and tier ones um, that are going to be crying out for people. Um, for, for what I, I think and what you alluded to is going to be a mass shortage of um, you know, engineering, all-encompassing geology, geotech, mining professionals. Yeah, and and I'll say it's, and I've I've noticed more recently. There's a lot of things happening in Europe as well, or I or it's come across my radar. Um, probably there, there there obviously there's always been mining in uh, across Europe, but I've seen more coverage over the last few years, more so than three or four or five years before. So again, not just the UK, but also in Europe, which is pretty close to. I suppose the UK, as opposed to having to go to Australia or necessarily going to Africa, um, there is, uh, I believe there's, there is a lot of opportunities across Europe as well. Yeah, that, that Eastern Bloc, um, you know, Group Belarus, you know, just put two two shafts down to, to about a, a 700, 800 metres using using shaft boring road headers, you know, made by Heron Connect as well. You know, that's a that's a new mine. That's a big big mine. Um, Chelyabinsk in Russia, a friend of mine worked there many years ago. These are these are big, big mines. So there is opportunity, no doubt. Um, and I think as things open up uh, after September 2021, um, you know, and the pandemic does ease, the opportunities are going to come flooding in. Yeah. Um, you were recently on the news with a, a new cohort of apprentices at uh, the Woodsmith Mine. Um, why do you feel apprenticeships are really important? Sure. Um, I, I think I said it just before. The you know the future of mining in this country and the future of engineering is in the youth of today. Um, so Anglo American have committed to to fifty graduate. Oh, sorry, fifty apprentices. Um, cohort number one started just before the pandemic. We had uh, fifteen um, or fourteen. Can't remember. It's either fourteen or fifteen. Um, so they've done their two years at, at Teesside College. Uh, what a great, what a great, great bunch of people, you know, very, very tight knit. Um, and they've now started on site doing their actual practical experience. You know, they're, they're paired together um, with, a, with a mechanic or electrician or a, an instrument tech. Um, so that's fantastic. It's really taken off. Cohort number two, we had a year off effectively because of the pandemic. Um, so cohort two, just going to start their um, classroom training now. Um, and as I said, that that group, almost 30 people, um, is going to be Woodsmith's future. Um, so, you know, a good grounding. I, I believe we're putting them through um, further study as well, which is fantastic. It's not just, oh, do your two years, come do your practical, we're going to pump you out as a, as a mechanic. We really want to make it oh, industry best practice, if you like, to keep that education going. So they come out at the, at the end of four years with a really good grounding in their technical ability and their practical ability. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, carry on. No, no, as I said, it's, it's all about planning for, for tomorrow. It's, it's a different skill set. You know, we want to be an autonomous mine. We're going to need those instrument techs. You know, it's not, it's not just being able to, to lift a, a sledgehammer or do welding anymore. It's a case of the intricacies of, of code. It's getting it right. So, yeah, as I said, it's the right level of of, of detail um, and the right skill sets for what we're building in the future. 
Yeah. Um, obviously, one thing you can give us a, a quick overview of the Woodsmith project. Um, obviously, now owned by Anglo American. Um, also, are there opportunities for recent graduates uh, moving forward throughout the project? Sure. So, Woodsmith, um, we're, we're building it. It's a polyhalite mine. Um, the seam sits pretty much underneath Whitby in North Yorkshire. Uh, it's about a mile underground. So, we're building two shafts to get there using shaft boring road headers. Um, material comes up to about 350 metres below surface and gets transferred onto what we believe to be Europe's longest conveyor belt, um, which is in a 37 kilometre long tunnel um, to our processing plant up in Teesside. Um, from there, we're on the banks of the River Tees, um, so port facility. Um, we'll process the material, put it on a boat, and ship it to our customers all over the world. So um, I think, as I, again, as I said earlier, um, from the environmental aspect, um, you won't be able to see the mine from from around it, if you like. It will look like two large wooden-clad farm, farm buildings on the mine site. Everything is underground. So from a traditional head frame that sits 45 metres above ground, when we are fully constructed, you won't have any of that. Our winders are underground. Our you know, materials handling system is underground. Um, and the only thing you'll see is the processing plant up at Teesside. So very exciting times, um, very sustainable, and polyhalite you know, is, is the fertilizer of the future. So it's fantastic. Um, with regards to um, graduates, it's a case of watch this space. Um, there are opportunities coming. Um, I think we've got um, probably 15 grads or you know, less than three-year experience geologists, geotechs, mining engineers on the project at the moment. Um, most of them are in our call it shaft, shaft technician roles or shaft engineer roles. Um, so they're getting a, a, a whole range of, of experience, more training at the moment, ready to go. Um, but, you know, just a great opportunity for them. Fantastic company, global miner, you know, do a couple of years here and then the world is your oyster. So, there are opportunities. It's just watch watch the website. Um, you know, go go on to Seek or go on to Google. Um, I think it's Indeed over here. Whatever you call it, um, watch watch for those adverts coming out, and uh, you know, put your CV through when you see them. Yeah, um, there seems to obviously be a resurgence of mining exploration and, and mining projects in the UK, as as we've uh, as we've spoken about. Um, what advice would you give to someone who's interested in in possibly studying mining, geology, or engineer or engineering as a career, and I suppose obviously a lot of the listeners who listen to this podcast are obviously already in the mining industry. So I suppose this can relate to people that they know that can pass this information on to other friends and family who have children. Um, I wonder what advice you could get you could give. Yeah, a great, great question. Um, I think the most important thing is to get them interested. So, um, yeah, you probably see behind me, I've got a great big Lee Bear Lego Technics set. Um, and it, it it's how you, you get a, a youngster interested in building stuff, you know, reading instructions. They're, and they're, they're technical instructions, even for a 48-year-old bloke like myself. Um, but it really is, there's, there's tools out there um to get someone interested 
we're, we're on the Jurassic Coast up here in North Yorkshire. Go down the beach, you know, inform them about geology and about the layering and about the dip and about the structure. Find fossils um, because it all is intertwined in, in what it is. So if you've got the engineering skills building technical Lego, but you get them out into the fresh air down the beach and you explain geology and structure and geotechnics, it all comes together. Um, then we go go to that piece about, well, it's either it's either mined or it's grown. So yeah, you can become a farmer or you can become a finance guy sitting in London, but that computer has been mined. One way or another, all components have come from it. Then there are you know aspects of um, you know further interest, STEM as an example. Um, Scarborough in the first week of October has got an engineering day or engineering week for local students. I think we're expecting a couple of thousand students to come through and undertake puzzles and questions and and meet people. Um, so I, th- I believe Mark Cutifani, our CEO of Anglo, is coming up you know, to actually be a part of that. Um, so it really is get them interested, um, you know, through whatever way it is. It can be, you know, as I said, down the beach, technical Lego. It can be Meccano. It can be whatever it is. But sit them down and say, look, this is what engineering is all about. And it can start in many, many ways. Yeah, you've actually just given me a, a thought what I'm going to buy my uh, two boys now for Christmas. So um, I was only thinking about the other day because I think there's going to be some supply chain shortages. Um, so I was only thinking about Christmas presents. Um, I'm definitely going to buy them a uh, a Meccano or something kind of set. So, uh, um, so anyone that's listening, if you want to get your children into mining, um, that's a perfect uh, Christmas present. Um, I'll back- there's a fantastic set coming out on the 1st of October. It's the Caterpillar D11. It's huge, fully remote controlled. So it has all aspects of, you know, the, the, the instrument tech piece, the dexterity piece, following instructions, and they'd be busy for hours. So thoroughly recommend it. Right. <laughs> you're, you're plugging that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be on my shelf next time we talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've spoke. Uh, um, we're going to uh, come to a conclusion now. Um, sure. We've obviously spoken about school um, students, undergrads, graduates, and obviously your career. Is there any sort of last things you want to you want to say to the audience? Um, well, apart from obviously speaking about those, is there any advice that you can give maybe hiring managers that are looking to hire graduates? Um, obviously, we get we've got a lot of ex- apart from graduates listening to this. We obviously have a lot of more experienced mining professionals uh, that listen to this podcast. So I just wondered if there's any uh, advice that you can give give those. So, so from my career advice first, I'd say um, there are no mistakes. You might not make the best decision, but it's not a bad decision. Um, so there, there's elements in my career that I go, did I make the right choice? Um, you know, should I have stayed with one of the majors throughout my career and maybe have been you know, further up the chain. I don't know. I don't regret a moment of what I've done. I've travelled the world. I've travelled all over Australia. I'm back here in the UK. I've worked in Dubai briefly. You know, I, I've been involved. I've been a consultant. I've been a contractor. I've worked with the majors. Um, whatever you do, don't don't regret the decisions you make, because um, I think if you do, you dwell on the past all too much. So very much live for today. You know. 
keep on learning. I think that's the most important thing. Keep interested. Keep on with your networks. So that's number one. Um, from a hiring manager point of view, I, I do say I think we go in with a, um, a level of um, misunderstanding of today's people, um, of our graduates. You know, they are different. They've come from a technology age, um, and they expect something a little bit different. Um, and it's not, oh, we have to pander to them, or we have to give them X, Y, Z. No, it's a case of open and honest communication and understanding what they actually want. Because if you, if you take all that on, but then you're not able to deliver it, be open and honest in those first discussions. So I think, yeah, there is an expectation. And that comes down to all of us. I have an expectation. Rob, you would have an expectation. You know, if you're hiring a CEO or a senior mining engineer or a graduate, there is a level of expectation at those levels. But graduates today, um, they're trained differently. They are very tech savvy. They are very um, software and hardware and you know, technology savvy. We've got to understand that. To, to deliver their expectations in a, in a job. So from a hiring manager point of view, ask lots of questions and don't build it up to be anything that it isn't. Yeah. And I just want to follow on from that. You mentioned about learning. Um, and I'm bringing up this point because I, um, I put a post out on LinkedIn a few days ago and I made a few comments. Um, and it's around, it's around learning. And I think as an individual... Um, and this can be whether you're a graduate, whether you're a CEO of a mining company, um, you're not going to have every single skill out there and you need to learn these skills. What I think you need to do is take ownership of that yourself. So don't just rely on your company to put you through additional training or additional courses. I think you need to go and, and look for those types of courses yourself or try and learn those individual skills yourself so whether that is through paid sort of paid um paid courses that you have to put yourself through um there may be ways that you can ta tax deduct that um but i think you should need to take ownership yourself and and research those those courses if you want to build up those skills yourself not just rely on a company to put you through that to get you to the next stage yeah i agree with that rob i mean there are some courses like nebosh in the uk health and safety course it's invaluable. 400 quid, you can do it online. So, you know, it's not always take, take, take. If you show commitment to most mining companies and say, well, I did this myself, they'll come back and potentially say, you know, well, there's an HND or an HNC or, or maybe even a master's degree. And, and that's going to be eight grand. So, yeah, it's not all take. It's give a little bit and you'll get given an awful lot more. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Richard, really appreciate your time um, and take your time, obviously take your time to, to uh, record this podcast, give your um, your experience and hopefully helping some uh, graduates out there, but also helping um, some other maybe hiring managers if they're looking at hiring graduates and just maybe looking at a different looking at them at, at, from a different perspective. Um, so I really appreciate your time. If anyone wants to reach out to you. Um, how can they go about doing that? Are you on any social media platforms? Yes, I'm, I'm pretty much on, on LinkedIn, uh, I suppose, mainly. Yeah, do reach out to me. Um, via my Hotmail address is on there. Uh, I think my mobile number is on there. So, yeah, more than, more than welcome. Text me a message. Um, I'm, say, all over the place and available. 
Um, only too happy to help. Um, as I said, the the groups coming through today are the mining, you know, mining experts of the future. Yeah. Um, and then for those that are listening, really appreciate your help. Um, appreciate your support. Please share this episode. And probably this episode, you might be you might want to share. Uh, with people outside the mining industry as well, um, especially people that have got children um, or maybe children at secondary schools, not sure what they want to do in their careers. Maybe just show them this uh, this podcast or this video. Uh, you never know. They might enter the, the exciting world of mining um, and obviously they can reach out to myself or even Richard if they've got any questions. But um, And also... You know what Christmas presents you can buy some of uh, some whether male or female. Um, maybe there, there's some thoughts around the Christmas presents because that will that could potentially be the turning point to encouragement to look at a, a career in mining. So, Richard, really appreciate your time again. Thank you for listening. No happy worries. mining and happy mining. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.